Welcome to Before You Swipe. I'm Dr. Lauren. And I'm Dr. Chris. We're two sex educators and research nerds who love talking about sex and relationships. This has been an online dating podcast where we overanalyze profiles and read between the pickup lines. However, in this episode, we're switching it up to take a step back and consider how we make sense of ourselves and relationships. And when we say relationships, we include sexual, romantic, platonic, and more. So before we even open the apps, let's get into the beautiful mess of human connection. Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode in season six of Before You Swipe. I'm Dr. Lauren. And I'm Dr. Chris. And we are continuing our conversation from last season on Andy Norgren's Nine Principles of Relationship Anarchy. And throughout this season, we've been doing more application, thinking about how it shows up in our lives in more specific ways. And today we wanna to talk about loneliness. And we're considering what could an RA, a relationship anarchy lens, um, do to help us thinking about or navigating loneliness in our lives. So Chris, yeah. I'm gonna kick it over to you to explain okay. loneliness. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we decided to look at this, you know, the topic of loneliness because there's so much data and news articles and things like that about how North America has um, never been more lonely. And so there's, and um, what do we mean by that? Like, what is loneliness? Well, in research land, they look at a number of things to sort of show um, loneliness. So uh, people are reporting now more than ever, they have fewer closer friends or fewer close connections than ever. People are reporting that they're less happy. Uh, people are reporting that they feel more alone and isolated. There are higher mental health concerns overall. And yes, uh, we did just come out of a pandemic where people were physically isolated for several years and as the research and as people are just sort of clawing their way out of, of that really very challenging experience, um, we can understand why this loneliness component is getting a lot of attention and why loneliness is a concern. And it hasn't just been since the pandemic, it's actually been over the last you know couple of decades um, that people have, talked about feeling more and more alone. And a lot of the media really does also cover mostly uh, this loneliness epidemic in young people as well as in the elderly. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're, but it's, it's also true in people of all ages is what they're finding is, is this sort of. I feel like there's also been a fairly, you know, sizable conversation about men's loneliness with, is, I think it's that Harvard longitudinal study that they've been talking a lot more about Yeah. men's isolation and yeah, which is of course, you know, yet again, we can say, thanks patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, it's, and people are like, well, okay. So, you know, what's the, I mean, loneliness inherently is a, an emotion that's, um, that's sad and, you know, I want to normalize that having sad emotions is okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's more this concept of a prolonged loneliness. And they've, you know, uh, research and other, you know, mostly researchers, I just say, have linked loneliness to poor physical health outcomes, because, you know, our mental and our physical health are really so intertwined. It's hard to separate mm -hmm. those. That's a Western thing to do. But, you know, we've got that going on. And so people who are less lonely live longer. 
people who are uh, have social connections are overall happier. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons to sort of say, well, why should we focus on loneliness? Who cares? Well, we care because we want humans to be healthy, thriving beings. And so that's sort of why loneliness is important. And also, you know, we're in such an interesting time to be alive, right? With, you know, and not that we're going to go too far down this rabbit hole, but we've got, you know, some climate change stuff happening that's impacting where and how people can live and live well. And so we can anticipate there's going to be a fair amount of mobile mobility and people needing to recalibrate and adjust in the next couple decades. And so it's kind of interesting to try to think, well, if we know we're coming toward more global tragedies like the pandemic, how can we fortify ourselves and how can relationship anarchy help us think about our ties, think about how we form ties and sustain and nurture those ties that we are as resourced as we can be. Um, and, and so can... when you were saying mobility, you mean that as climate change um, progresses in the next few decades that we'll need to physically move? Oh, yeah. To... Okay. Yeah. Well, I wasn't, yeah. I Sorry. just wanted to make sure I knew what you Yeah, meant. no, 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 no. <laughs> That's exactly what I meant, that people, and, and some of it's already happening, right? So folks are, you know, and when you relocate, if you have deep connections in a specific geographic location, then all of a sudden you're potentially uprooting your network of care and support, particularly in communities that have really strong bonds, like in a neighborhood, for example. And so um, it's both the disruption of for the individuals who are moving, but then also where they relocate to. There's gonna, we're, we're gonna have to take care of each other in really different ways, I think, in, in the coming decades. And, yeah. and that's yeah. important. Um, and it's yeah. interesting you say it that way because it's like we say differently and it's more hearkening back to how things worked, you know, historically. So, I mean, I'll look historically at least in the 1900s. So, as I like to say, last century, um, <laughs> we, there was in the early of the last century, we like to, um, ha there were more small communities and people around like that would built around small towns or churches uh and other you know structural entities like that uh and so i think gosh this was like maybe in the 1980s maybe early 1990s there was a book called bowling alone mm -hmm. um, by putman who called out the idea of well suburbs were and having backyards was one of the things that was sort of driving social isolation and loneliness because people like when they got home from work instead of like sitting on their front porch and watching the world go by like people would go into their private backyards and people would like not connect with the community and the fact that we were overworked was making us too tired to be involved in other you know more social community activities so like this this conversation about the like the sort of dismantling of community has been going on like for a really yeah. long time Absolutely. And that's a much deeper conversation than we're gonna, we're barely scratching the surface <laughs> of that. And there's really beautiful work that's coming out of, you know, urban planning. And, you know, people are really thinking so creatively about how to reimagine how we do society and connection um, and build communities, given how we deconstructed it <laughs> up until this point. And when and I, I say think we too, or we say we, uh, 
like middle, middle class white people. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what I just wanted to make. That was sure. exactly where I wanted to go as well. I was like, okay, so we need to also be careful that there are other communities that have done an excellent job maintaining these ties and supporting each other. And you know, so we we can be really mindful about where um, where these breakdowns are are happening and and also our experience of them for as middle class white folks. Yeah. So. I wanted to just like take a moment to acknowledge, so my relationship to loneliness, so I am someone who lives in two cities, so I travel between places. Some of my closest and most important ties, the people who are stars in my constellation, um, we haven't lived in the same cities for ages and ages. Um, so like you and I haven't lived in the same city since what, 2012? Yeah. Um, and then some some of my brightest stars we've never lived in the same place which is sort of fascinating um and so there are ways that i've always had geographic distance or that proximity right so like not being able to hug the people i love the most so that's one thing that can be a source of loneliness is not having that physical contact with people i love um so that can be a piece of it for me but then also the instability of traveling so much and like uprooting yourself. And so the folks who are in my proximity, like it can feel like people forget you exist or it's harder to sort of insert yourself back into people's lives when you've been gone for two to six weeks, depending. And so um, this is something I definitely feel a connection to and have particularly in the pandemic, it became really notable when I was located in just one city, really trying to think about, okay, coming out of this and also thinking through relationship anarchy, like how can I reimagine? Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm coming into this is I feel like I'm in progress wanting to continue to reimagine how to get past loneliness. Yeah. And it's interesting because I moved to, uh, to, to where I am now, uh, during the pandemic. And so it was, I was really relying on um, like the, the internet to, and the phone to maintain my ties with people. Um, during the pandemic itself, as a person that was living by themselves, I did bubble with people who were not my, um, like my family, my, in the, in the sense of the legal terms or the biological concept of family. They were chosen family. So I felt, I very much felt the principles of relationship anarchy in terms of like, which relationships do we prioritize? And that, you know, the idea of love is abundant and things like that, where as soon as the pandemic, you know, powers that be were like, you need to isolate. I had two different um, groups of people reach out and say, do you want to be in our bubble? Um, because they recognized and I felt really touched that they were like, we know you live by yourself and you are not a person that, to whom isolation is going to be really that good a thing. Because um, I'm pretty extreme on my extroversion. So yeah. yeah, it was really lovely to sort of see how that came to be. And then when I moved, then it became really prominent because there was a time zone difference and there was... Um, you know, I couldn't just go down the street to see a, another human being. And so pretty much the only person I would actually have a conversation with um, on a regular basis was the security guard down at the bottom of my condo building um, or, or work or like, you know, having a work meeting. Yeah. So it was very odd. Yeah. 
Well, so I think our goal then is to, I mean, you've already been sort of tying in some of the principles and how we think this could be helpful. Um, and so some of the ways I've been thinking about what is the connection to relationship anarchy, that's the this and what I was just saying, um, and how does that relate to loneliness? But I, I think I want to flip that on its head because it's it feels helpful for me to think, like, how does the heteronormative escalator and the construction of the nuclear family and all of that stuff that's been higher value in certain communities um, and being reinforced through media and other things as the prior and legal practices and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> um, so this heteronormative escalator that has radiating impacts throughout our society, um, how does that reinforce loneliness? And so I wanted to acknowledge, I think there's, you know, when we are feeling that pressure that we have to find the person who's gonna be everything and that that's the most important and legitimate way to exist as a person. Like that's what makes you valid. And it has to be sexual, romantic, all the things, financial merging. Mm -hmm. Like we, we did the escalator in the last episode in detail. When that is what you're supposed to prioritize, I think there is a way we overlook the really loving, supportive relationships that we have in our lives. And so I feel like when I, stopped trying to get any kind of permanent one person is everything yada 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 any of that when i let that go and started to really focus on all the other ways i experienced love care and support in my life it was so liberating and i no longer felt this it's like i had lost track i was completely overlooking the the value and love and everything that was surrounding me um, because of the pressure of the escalator yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely, a lot of that resonates with me as well. I mean, another place too, where there, like for me, it became a reliance on the one is when I was living overseas with a, 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 a in a monogamous uh, sexual and romantic relationship. And it was challenging because when we were struggling as, as a couple, I realized like, oh, shit i have nowhere to go like, yeah. it, like if i you know if this relationship falters i am halfway around the world from my next closest tie and so you learn and that's where like when we talk about other kinds of communities to look to as well it's like you you end up with you know some interesting communities and so for me the expat community uh was one of them and I did develop some very close ties with some people in that expat community. Um, as I realized like, yeah, you can't just like with having one person, it's with that balance, it's it's just so precarious. Yeah. And again, it's it's a lot of pressure. So I think both of me and, and this person felt um, a lot of pressure to be, you know, keep things even keeled, keep things you know, smooth sailing as much as possible, all these things, which is just, which just made it worse, right? Like, it just Absolutely. Yeah. Cause then you're just bottling everything up and not talking about it, yada, yada. And actually then you can feel more lonely, even though you're in a relationship because you're hiding things that are important or need to be shared for whatever, and not to project onto your situation, but I think oh, that's yeah. a pretty common thing to have happen. And I like the, 
the escalator also, right, so it reinforces logics of jealousy that are exclusionary, right? So we can acknowledge jealousy happens no matter what, right? Yeah. Humans experience jealousy, but the way we're meant, we're socialized to, to make sense of our jealousy is in further narrowing who people have contact with and who people are friends with because it feels like a threat or I feel intimidated by that person and I have never been taught I actually just need to deal with my stuff <laughs> rather than projecting that onto another person. And so this, again, this idea that there's a radiating impact from the escalator that then isolates us in really strategic ways. Um, again, not that anyone's necessarily super conscious that it's happening, um, but I mean, losing track of your friendships, sure, new relationship energy, that's a thing that is going to ebb and flow in people's ties when you got that new exciting t connection. But the way some of us experience a loss of um, connection, and it's all meant to be protective of this one relationship. And again, so if we dismantle that escalator and say, that's not how we have to form, even if we're doing monogamous, romantic and sexual relationships, we don't have to do it that way. We don't have yeah. to. And, and in fact, we can be lovingly supporting each other and, and asking, how are you nurturing those close friendships? How are you nurturing this passion you have? Um, I want your network to be strong and I want you to have so many things that support you other than me. And that's not because I'm not also a support, but no one should be that precarious in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, so then it becomes the, you know, if you are a person who has just like is sort of listening to this and going, oh yeah, wait, I only have the one relationship that I really rely on, it's not easy to be just like, okay, we'll just make new friends then, right? Like right. it's not, and and especially as adults and as adults who are in these, the culture of busyness where it's like you've got work and maybe you've got some dependents that, you know, are relying on you or, you know, you, you have to have two jobs to make ends meet and things like that. It's, it's really difficult to find the time to cultivate these ties. So it's not like, just make new friends. It's easy, right? Like it's not, it's not easy. And as more and more people are working from home, which I think can really add to the quality of life, right? Less commute time, there's less stressors, there's things like that. Again, we're basically showing that in types of jobs where working from home is possible, they're finding that productivity is not, it's not getting, it's not lost. So, mm -hmm. and then we also know that there are many jobs where you have to show up to be at work, like the security guards, you know, people who work cash registers, people who, um, you know, like are front, you know, front teachers. Workers. Yeah. Well, teachers there. I mean, they, for, for kids, for K through 12, there's no way they're going back to online with. Um, yeah. I will say, yeah, I was going to say, I, the only reason I was hesitating is because I know a couple of my friends who's have decided to move their kids to the sort of like online homeschooling because oh. it was a better, more supportive environment for them. And so totally different model. Though. Different, yeah, yeah, different, different styles work for different people. So I, that's all. That's why I started. Well, and so I was wondering if part of why you were bringing up this working from home thing is also because our workplaces have historically also been places where we form friendships. Yeah and mm -hmm. go to happy hour after work or not you know not necessarily consuming alcohol but just a thing to be together or you have a kickball team at your work or whatever yeah. and and also just those passing conversations 
even brief positive conversations, there's research on like the uptick of positivity and, and um, good chemicals inside of us, like those brief moments are actually really important. And so if we're not experiencing those because we're continuing this isolation, which as you described has positives, um, that feels really tricky. Yeah, and that's exactly why I was bringing it up because it's like, well, where do you meet new friends? It's like, well, maybe in your workspace. Well, it's it's more difficult to have those authentic communications and and connections when um, you're on, you know, you're on a video call or on a phone call. So it, you know, it's like, so where do people go for those things? And that's, and it does, it's like, we're not, it's like, there's no like super easy answers, but um, it's, you know, is there volunteering? Are there other organizations that people want to reach out to? Um, and so, you know, for me, and I've talked about it before, I really have my karaoke community is something uh, mm -hmm. that I've really cultivated. And some of the people in my karaoke community are stable and some are less so. And I, I can't remember if I've talked about, but the, like when I talk about my karaoke community, um, the age range is from is people in their 20s to people in their 70s, right? So it's this very wide, like this group of people is not the group of people that would sort of typically get to like <laughs> be a group of friends who sit at a table together and hang out and like look forward to each other's company um, across different um, socioeconomic statuses as well as different races and ethnicities. So it's 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 a really interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting group of people that I see, you know, once a week, sometimes a little bit more that so. And I do, I think that's a great example of, you know, as adults, finding each other can be really hard. You know, when we were yeah. kids, we had public school in the US and, and North America, we have, you know, school where you go and there's humans that you're forced to interact with and people form friendships within those contexts. As adults outside of work, if you're in person, there really aren't those. And so it does require a different kind of seeking out. And I think also a different kind of flexibility as you just described that the friend groups might not look like your friend groups have, you know, especially if you're trying to come out of having been fairly isolated, if you were monogamous, if you had babies and that like ripped you away from being a social being for a while, which is pretty common for a lot of us, um, certainly was true for me, um, especially as a single parent. And so I, there's, you know, accepting that this isn't gonna pro uh, unfold in the ways it has in the past because it can't we just don't have those structures and so karaoke having activity-based places you, you mentioned volunteering that's a great way to connect with values values-based people um i also other activities like if you get into physical activities like finding a hiking group or i mean i'm in the pacific northwest so this is these are what we things we do you know the, <laughs> the rock climbing you know there's I remember coming out of my um, big long-term relationship uh, several years ago, like there was a queer, gender queer climbing group um, at a local gym. And I made several friends that, I, you know, they were like perfect. We fit really well together. So identity-based and activity-based can be a really great way to, to meet people. Yeah. And again, it's potentially hard. And I think it's been really important. Like I know I've talked to you about trying to find community or maintain relationships and, and moments of heartbreak. I mean, I think when we don't create room to value friendships the same way we do romantic and sexual relationships, we might 
not feel like we can get the support when something fails and and fails capital f like you lose a tie it's you don't successfully connect with anyone that's an that's an enduring like you do a trivia for a whole season and none of them become long-term friends that can be really hard and being able to grieve and be frustrated or whatever with people who are your close ties um we just shouldn't have to hold that alone and there's no reason not to care about that in terms of friendships yeah and and i'm wondering if this is like so i i belong to this i guess it's like a work i don't know what to call it it's so it's called the center for social innovation and it's a place here in toronto i think there's a couple other ones in canada where it is um it's 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 founded on the idea of what if we all shared that is the thing and it's been good we did they just celebrated their 19th anniversary of of being a co-working space sometimes there are like established charities and nonprofits in the space and there's also a lot of people who are independent consultants uh or who are again people who now work from home and don't really want to work from home. <laughs> they want to like, whether it's a space issue or whether it's a good Wi-Fi connection or it's just in community. And so ta- talking about like shared experiences, um, you sort of, you need to apply to get in and the application process is like, tell us why you want to join and how you support good in the world. Mm. Um, so is, is basically it. So you can write like three sentences and as long as you can connect the dots, um, you know, you can become part of this community, which is, has been very lovely and really healthy for me too, in that, you know, again, not necessarily uh, pieces of like the deep friendships component. And it's also been that thing where I do feel less lonely because I'm surrounded by people knowing I'm in a space that just feels good. And I know that the people who are there have similar values to, um, to me in terms of what they're trying to do in the world and how and sometimes we talk about it people will come up to you and just be like hey what do you you know what do you do that you know kind of idea um you know like what brings you to csi yeah which is also like so not the television show people but you know like, <laughs> which, you know which are there still, still CSI's? are there still any csis on tv i'm like how bad are we dating ourselves with that reference I think, no i think they're they just rebooted it like oh one of the original, so I, for a couple seasons. So yeah, so CSI is still on TV and CSI is also, <sighs> you know, my, where I, where I go to work sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I love, I love the things you're describing here, right? So values based, activity based, just that general sense of comfort, knowing there are people working in similar ways with similar kinds of goals and I mean, of course, any of us can think about that for whatever values we hold, even if, you know, if it's a religious thing and there, you know, there are people gathering tied to your religion and you're not going like that can still feel, um, feel like community, but -hmm. it can also be so much more powerful to, again, be in a space, even if you don't talk to anyone, if you're again, drawing on spirituality, like if you're practicing, whether that's meditating, praying, all the different kinds of consciousness, elevating practices, singing together, you don't actually have to talk to anyone to have the benefits of being in community. And that's, I mean, a beautiful thing about our bodies and minds and how they function. Um, but also it can feel really intimidating to walk into a space where you don't know anyone 
And also, again, when we don't normalize talking about being nervous about trying to get friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Normalizing that people are, you know, still might want to be making connections at all ages for whatever reasons. And yeah, and normalizing that it takes guts to sort of ask someone out on a friendship Friend date. date. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. All those things. Um, another person that I met at CSI briefly, because I think they are based in the US, is somebody who's looking to create a similar model, but through housing. So another Ooh. idea of that, and I think they were, I want to say Atlanta, um, I'm going to butcher this story. And, and, and it does though bring back to this idea of that communal living spaces and how do you, you know, bring people together again, who are by nature interested in building community in their housing and, and different kinds of um, room setups and co-living spaces, as well as, you know, places that where people are um, less um, inclined to do that. But like just even the way apartments are set up, for example, you know, oftentimes apartment living is set up where you can only, you know, can only fit not many people into an apartment. And that's also, right. you know, that is also biased against certain families of a certain size. So mm -hmm. it's like, how do you find these living spaces and how has, you know, so, you know, again, it's, North America, I can speak to pretty comfortably and a lot of other countries that I've been in though, like where the, the generic housing model is either a large house, which can be pretty expensive, or if you live in an apartment or a condo, once you're like three, maybe four, it gets a little bit more challenging when it comes to space. So um, this person is looking at that. How can we restructure our spaces in our apartment and like living so that it can incorporate larger groups of people, whether they be bio families or chosen families. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, we have off podcast, Chris and I have had, I think a ton of conversations about like if relationship anarchy was the organizing principle for society, like the ways this could really, I, I mean, just um, what's the word transformational. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so contrary to some of the belief systems that guide how we structure things in North America. And, and so it's like when we are trying to do this as individuals in our lives, it's not just that we're coming up against like, oh, I've been taught I have to have certain kinds of relationships and that's what's most important. It's also that the entire design of the society is against you doing that. Yeah. And that's really hard. And I, you know, figuring out how to find the practices that support you and pursuing new ties and, and especially something like living, if you've never done co-housing um, or these, you know, sort of more creative uh, housing structures, I mean, I, I can only imagine how intimidating applying for something like that and imagining moving toward it when it's a complete radical restructuring from anything you've lived in. Yeah. Um, but it's a potentially, gosh, I hear about that. And I'm like, me, I want, <laughs> yeah. I want now. <laughs> well, well, this, my, my core group of college friends that I'm still really close to their college and, and just slightly post-college, we joke about how we're all going to get, like, we're going to take over some retirement community and just all like do this big co-housing thing together. Like that's been our dream of just like being like, when we all retire, we're all gonna just find a space that whatever, and just be like, come to this, you know, insert geographic place here. We found a house, we're 
taking it over and we're going to be our own retirement community. I feel like so many people in my life talk about that or it's like, okay, we're going to co-invest in a building with a you know, multiple flats in it and then we'll you know, try create a shared housing experience, right? And just so you're close, but not necessarily completely co-living. Um, yeah, I think that we're hungry for this. You know, I yeah, think lots of think lots so. of folks want more. We're obviously hearing the incredible experience of loneliness that's so prominent um, across societies and age groups um, in North America. So, yeah, I don't know. I this also is read a stat like somewhere that pe people between the ages, like by uh, 2020. 2030, 20, not like, not that far in the, in the not too distant future to quote mystery science theater 3000, but like, so in the not too distant future, 40% of people aged 25 to 40 will not be, will not be cohabitating or married. I so mean, this is, wow, that's, that's big, right? So like, again, how like relationship anarchy, you know, and the ways we look at relationships is going to be shifting, whether we want it to or not. And now, of course, I just quoted a stat, I'm gonna have to freaking find it. So we'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I see that happening in people yeah. in my life and their kid, you know, their adult children, how they're choosing to live. And it's just, I, I always come back to in that I'm like, man, how are you going to do that under capitalism? Not to always go back to capitalism, but like, it's so expensive to live on your own. Yeah. And this is part of the gift of like cohabitating is those, I mean, yes, we don't want to talk about the enmeshment and financial dependence on each other, but yikes, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and so I guess like one of the things that it feels really important to keep going back to is when we reviewed the principles of relationship anarchy, you know, the early things we sort of were focused on finding those individual, like core elements, right? What are mm -hmm. the things you're looking for? What are the values you're holding on to? Where do you want to grow and how can you turn toward that? And I think we're identifying how this can be thought of as both addressing a problem, you know, a, a health, both mental and physical health problem that exists in our society. In addition to creating just more joy and delight, we hope, but it, it really does require us to be connected to ourselves and thinking about what do I need? Like you as an extrovert versus me as more introverted, right? What do we need and how can we be responsive to who we are, how our brains and bodies function, our financial resources, right? It, again, not with the goal of enmeshing with other people in a codependent way, but in a healthy interdependence, healthy supportive structures. And I think mm -hmm. we are capable of this. We can do the thing, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it will take work and, and conversations that maybe some of us really aren't used to having. Yeah. And in the meantime, we, or I will, I'm not gonna speak for Lauren, but like, I encourage you to maybe just reach out to somebody and, and say hi, because maybe they're, they're in a similar situation that you are. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, loneliness is hard and, well, and it's real and it's valid yeah. and it's important and it deserves attention and care. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. Just reach out to someone, do the brave thing. Assume everyone else is just as lonely as you are. If, if that's something you're experiencing and struggling with, I think if we operated from a place of, I am definitely not alone in my loneliness. Um, and so taking that step to create change, um, you never know what kind of ripple you'll create. So, yeah. Ah, all right. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to our episode on loneliness. Um, yes. 
and we will see you next time or hear you next time whatever (laughs) bye thanks for listening to before you swipe if you want to send us your thoughts on sexual romantic and or platonic relationships please email us at before you swipe at gmail.com that's the letter b the number four the letter u swipe at gmail or you can find us on facebook and instagram at before you swipe Thanks to Hamid Khalid 786 on Pixabay for our fabulous funky beats.